this is a prepaid call from Joe. Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker. And I'm your co-host, Anais Lucia. And today we have a special guest. We have Raheem Buford out of Nashville. And he is from the organization uh, Unheard Voices, right? Yes, Unheard Voices. It's Raheem Buford out of Nashville, Tennessee, the organization Unheard Voices. I wanted to uh, really, I'm excited about doing this show. I wanted to really get this brother on here so we could talk about his organization and what he's doing out here in Nashville and all across the country, actually, you know, because I think this brother is going to be doing some major things. And Raheem, uh, thank you for taking the time out to do the show. And brother, uh, that's about as much as I want to say on the introduction, I want you to go ahead and start talking, introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about yourself and your organization. Sure. Um, thank you, Joe, for this opportunity. It's always a pleasure to share with brothers in the struggle who are trying to bring awareness to the plight of those who have been caged all across this country. Um, again, my name is Raheem Buford. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. And what brings me into this space is that I am currently a uh, formerly incarcerated. I was caged for 26 years of my life at seven different prisons throughout the state of Tennessee from beginning 1989 of my arrest until um, 2015 when I was paroled after um, three parole hearings. And wow. over the course of that 26 year period, I uh, educated myself and uh, took advantage of all the opportunities that were available and created opportunities that did not exist while I was uh, caged at different places throughout the state of Tennessee. And since I've been on this side a little over six years, I uh, graduated from American Baptist College, summa cum laude, uh, with a bachelor's, bachelor's, bachelor's degree in entrepreneurial leadership. I founded uh, Unheard Voices Outreach I was on the team with the Children's Defense Fund Nashville organizing team from 2016 to 2018, at which time I joined the Nashville Community Bail Fund. Uh, I was the bail fund manager from 2018 until May of 2021, of which I uh, took complete, um, uh, I would say, 24-7 operations with the Unheard Voices Outreach, of which I founded in 2017, but conceived of in 2005 while I was in prison. And mm -hmm. basically, our vision is to see a world, man, where people uh, who are leaving prison and even jails are empowered mm -hmm. to live full and free lives. And, and basically, what that means is when a person leaves, uh, a place after being punished, he or she can transition back into society with, without the hindrances of felonism. Uh, and that looks like sometimes not being able to get a job, not being able to have health care access, uh, not being, being able to, to, to gain uh, housing or, or even occupy you know, an apartment just based upon something that you had already been punished for. And some of the things that I do also involve advocacy and education, helping with uh, legislation as I partner with organizations like No Exceptions, organizations like um, the uh, Choosing Justice Initiative, organizations like RAFA, which is, I mean, so 
I yes, and I have been across the country, different places, speaking and talking about not only my real life story, but my ideas about uh, transformative justice and and restorative justice, mm-hmm. and shining a light on retributive. Uh, uh, I don't even like to say retributive justice because there's no such thing as retributive justice once you break down the understanding of what retribution is. And so, and once you understand a a, a complete meaning of justice. And so, yeah, and I I authored a book before I actually was released from prison, which is titled Save Your Own Life. Choosing the Right Right. Path is not always clear. And I pen that for young people who have made bad choices, who may be in juvenile detention, group homes, but any adult Mm -hmm. can read the book and really glean from it, particularly if you're in a place of lockup, in a place of prison, because that was my mindset at the time of trying to find ways to liberate with words in a way that would not lose the attention span of young people. And so it's a smaller book. and it's an interview in the back of the book. It's it's interactive. It's prose. It's mm-hmm. poetry, and you can find it on Amazon. Uh, okay. And I also uh, I sell it in bulk. And whenever they buy it from me, I offer uh, free presentations and uh, conversations. So yeah. yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Let me. I want to ask you a question. Um, at the beginning of your introduction, you were real uh, focus on. The words that you were using, I heard you say caged and formerly incarcerated. Tell me, why did you choose those words to use? Because I think they have a little bit more meaning behind what I think, you know, the listener might need to understand that a little bit better because you were saying that, like you emphasized that caged and formerly. So tell us a little bit about why you chose those words. Right. So after I awakened to a different level of consciousness, while I was in prison, mm-hmm. I understood that the narrative or the narratives, plural, that mm-hmm. permeated society about what we call criminal justice, which we now refer to as the criminal, the criminal legal system, is mm-hmm. that this idea of incarceration, it comes almost sanitized. And it's a soft mm-hmm. way of saying something that has no picture. I say incarcerated. You don't really see anything. But if I say caged, you think of an animal because that's what we think about when we think we hear that word cage. But the reality is, is that that's what we're doing with human beings. And so we use terms like incarceration, um, confinement. These are very docile, nice terms that do not evoke the reality of the experience that people every single day, every second in America and, and in other places, but I live in America, are experiencing. Because it's, it's to say prison almost can be nice. People talked about prisons in the Bible. So prison has been romanticized. And so I wanna make sure that people who listen to me understand that when a human being is removed from society and exiled and placed into a situation where his or her body is being completely taken control over. Mm-hmm. That's a caged experience. And I never will minimize that ever in my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I didn't, I didn't understand that, but I get it now. I, I do. To- and I totally agree with that too. Uh, but I, I think about sometimes when, uh, and I'm sure you might be fam- uh, familiar with this one, Sometimes they'll call inspection in here, right? And we got to stand on our doors 
at the front of the cell and the whoever, the, the warden or the lieutenant or whoever, they'll come around and walk around and they might have guests with them sometimes. And, and every single time that they do that, I feel like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an animal at a zoo being put on display. You know what I'm saying? So that when you said that cage and the way you just described it, that resonates with me. I get that, man. And that, cause that's what it is. It's, yeah, that's that's exactly Absolutely. what this is, man. No Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And 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 I want to add to that. I I had the same experience, and that's one component or idea that is real. That that I want to add is that that's also in addition to the zoo experience. That's the militarizing, the militarizing of the prison experience because mm -hmm. sitting, standing in attention, this is something that is brought from the military, and this is something that was implemented from one of the prior commissioners, Schofield, yeah, who was yeah, brought from, yeah. was, was exported from Georgia to implement yeah. practices that abused and committed acts of psychological violence and, and, yeah. and, and actually ended up in physical violence in various institutions. And, and, and the Tennessee Department of Corrections still has not recovered from the, uh, some of the worst leadership that has ever uh, been in charge within the Tennessee Department of Corrections. And so much so that um, this particular commissioner had removed the, um, the in-between point of when someone exits prison and goes into what we call the free world, which I call it the cost world. He removed right. all prospects of how a person can ease back into society and just start working, living in minimum security, and, and going out into the world, working, coming back. So that would not be this this cultural uh, shock to, to the mind. Yeah. And yeah. so I just want to put that on the record as well. Yeah, I, and, I, and I totally agree with that. And, and, and the system is still suffering from, from that leadership, you know, and uh, you can see it. every I see it every day in here. It's, it's, it's really sad. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you is, like, as far as you, you said, you are working with different organizations out there at the, when it comes to the, uh, prison reform and the, ch the changes that we really need in the system to so that guys and, and uh, women getting out of prison can have a better shot at making it out there. So tell us about some kind of any of the legislation that you might be uh, working on with somebody else or the ideas that you might have about what needs to be done. And, okay. and I want you to touch on not just nonviolent offenders, but violent offenders yeah. as well. Yeah. So I first want to say that I, I don't even use that language when you say offenders, yes, because one of the gotcha. difficulties in trying to bring about change and transformation is language. And language shapes mindset. And the word offender, inmate, um, criminal, defendant, yeah. all of these are state terms. And whenever you use a state term, what you do is divorce the humanity of an individual and you subjugate them to this thing of the state. And so uh, individuals who are, have been convicted of felonies, who have serious convictions, and some have non-serious convictions, that's who you're talking about. And so I don't yeah. distinguish between the humanity of individuals because this false uh, dichotomy or this binary situation is how the dominant culture continues to shape the false narrative around what it means to be caged. And so what we're talking about here, uh, one of the things, uh, one, the organization that I work, work with closely, uh, the No Exceptions, I'm working with them to mm -hmm. turn 51-year life sentences back 
to at least 25 years. So individuals who have a parolable life sentence will actually mm -hmm. get a living opportunity to meet the parole board and be assessed mm -hmm. for release. And so mm -hmm. we did make it out of the Senate mm -hmm. earlier in the year. We, we made it out of the Senate. And um, I'm not the quarterback on this team. Her her name is yeah. Jeannie Alexander. She uh, founded, I'm actually, that's a longer story, but I'm on the board of no exceptions. And Jeannie Alexander is a former chaplain at Riverbend Maximum Security, Security Prison. And once she saw the conditions and listened to the real voices of individuals like myself and many others, she understood that her work was far greater than being a chaplain in a prison because even chaplains in prisons receive their paychecks from the state. And whenever a person uh, within a, a, a member of the cloth is employed by the state of Tennessee, there's a certain limitation on how they would they exercise what could be considered uh, the real practice of hermeneutics and and, yeah. and and really engaging and disrupting a system they cannot because whoever controls your money uh, basically right. can control you know how you speak, how you think, and how you behave in society. So I want to put that out there. But yeah, yeah, we made it out of the, the Senate and now we're working on helping individuals who are incarcerated, which is over 1,400 people with 51-year life sentences, uh, to uh -huh. understand that they have to get their family members engaged. They have to find ways to participate in the voting process because we're not going to win this thing back until we get 20,000, 25,000 individuals in prison to wake up to understand that politics is power and when people will vote in your your name that can create a situation because currently here in tennessee more than 430,000 tennesseans have been uh disenfranchised basically the voting uh privileges have been taken because if it was a right you can never lose a right unless somehow you decide to give it up and none of us, right. to my understanding, decided uh, to give up the right to vote. But because of what happened in the 80s when the Democrats were in charge, some say they were the Dixiecrats, they flipped and became Republicans. I don't really care about any of that. All I know is that in the 80s, the voting rights were taken from individuals who were in prison. And so um, I'm working with no exceptions with, with respect to that. I'm also working uh, with no exceptions on a bill that will remove slavery from Tennessee's constitution. Because as right, it stands, right. as it stands in the United States of America, the, um, the US constitution still endorses slavery. That's in the 13th amendment that slavery is prohibited except if you've been so-called duly convicted of a crime. And so we have all this legislation happening and we have all this consciousness around black lives matter. And we know that yeah. per capita, there are more black lives caged within the United States of America than basically around the world per capita. You know, 4% yeah. of, the, of the world's population houses, cages the mass of individuals, you know, who are considered to be guilty of some crime. And so yeah. we, we're pushing all this legislation, but we still endorse the idea of slavery. And until we yeah. can remove um, that, particular idea from america human beings are still going to be regarded as less than uh subjugated and marginalized and so i'm working with no exceptions to to accomplish mm -hmm. that but let me tell you about some of the accomplishments of 
the unheard voices outreach that you may not even be aware of because when okay. it was put into the law you know they didn't mention us but everything okay. that has benefited what we call uh non-serious crimes persons who yeah. are in prison uh who are now going to get presumptive relief that's mm -hmm. the unheard voices outreach we uh created a document that went to the governor's office that went to several legislators it also went mm -hmm. to the governor's task force and we outlined ways in which individuals should be considered for parole relief but mm -hmm. what we did not see once this bill was passed which is called the success act of 2021 uh mm -hmm. we didn't see a great deal that benefited uh persons with serious crimes the only thing that we can see that we had submitted uh for for and ours was for everyone is that mm -hmm. when a person is denied uh parole that the parole board has to give him or her an idea of what they can do to qualify for release and overall i want you to know that um moving forward one of the things that we want to do as an organization Mm -hmm. is we want to have a representative in each prison yeah. to participate in a UVO endeavor, which um, we are titling the uh, Second Chance Society. And one of the ways that we can empower ourselves as persons inside of prison is to um, support what we believe in. And so uh, the Unheard Voices Outreach is a 501c3 non-for-profit organization. Uh -huh. And so we do not easily get funding uh, that other organizations, traditional organizations that are members of the nonprofit industrial complex receive. And so it's very difficult. Uh, I don't um, make the same salary I had when I was with the uh, Nashville uh, Community Bail Fund. Mm -hmm. But, you know, no one is going to build a vision that you believe in if they don't see you willing to put forth the effort and concentration right. and determination and whatever is necessary to make that a reality but one of the things that we we need to do is to have a more unified voice and understanding while uh uvo is not working on prison conditions because i have no interest in making prison better because that's one of the problems that cause individuals who go to prison to become content and complacent is that they look to make prison a better place and while i do not believe make in it more prisons, homey that's what they're yeah doing. I, and right and i don't believe in people in prison uh being you know treated unfairly or, right. uh, or inhumane by any stretch of the imaginations i don't believe in a lot of complaints about things that you feel uncomfortable about because you think somehow you know because that's the thing that prison is is punishment mm -hmm. and to understand that punishment that is no that's really supposed to be aimed at corrections it does not correct because the people who created it did not really understand, you know, necessarily, or maybe they did understand and it was never really meant for corrections. And this is why we have in five years, 75% of individuals uh, who are released from prison returning mm -hmm. and yeah. nowhere in the world where seven out of every 10 commodity or products that you produce are defected that you can stay in business, except in the correction sector which uh, yes, employs more people than Walmart, GM, and, and one more other larger corporation in, 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 in the world. I mean, I mean, in this nation. So a yes. lot of people depend and eat and feed from this system. 
And so what we have to do who live in this system, whether you're incarcerated or formerly incarcerated and tied to this system, we have to support our own and, and, and support the unheard voices and organizations that are trying to bring about change. Because I understand that a lot of people in prison are pessimistic and they feel yeah. like they don't have power because their imaginations do not see beyond prison walls and, 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 and fences, razor wire fences, and even the prison of themselves, which is ignorance, meaning they lack in knowledge. But, you know, I'm one of the people who believes that, you know, whatever you view as the creator, the most powerful force in the universe, I believe that whatever that is, when it created the universe out of nothing, it removed impossibility. And so there is not a soul who resides in a cage in a Tennessee Department of Corrections prison or anywhere else, but I'm just speaking of Tennessee, yeah. that is there because there is no way out. There is always a way out, but you have to have faith because that's the only reason why I'm here today. I'm not here because I'm special. I'm not here because I expired my sentence. I'm not here because people wanted me out because for every parole hearing that I had, which was three, there were protesters saying that I did not deserve to be released. Yes. And I'm gonna add another, I'm gonna add another nugget to that that I want to put on the record. Okay. Is that of all the parole board members that did eventually vote for me, yeah. the only African American that was on the parole board, Gary Falcon, voted against okay. me. Not only did he wow. vote against me, but he wow. voted that I'd be denied parole for two more additional years. Now you have to understand that there were over 40, 50, 60 people supporting me in my parole hearing. I had a mm -hmm. rehabilitation resume out of this world that, mm -hmm. that stood from the floor up at least two inches. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And so yeah. I had college credits at the time that I went up for parole the last time. And mm -hmm. I had taken all the courses the Tennessee Department of Corrections had to offer. And so well, what I'm trying to do? say there's nothing else that I could do. And what I'm saying to talk a little bit about what we call retributive justice, it's no justice in retribution because retribution is a form of revenge. And our form of justice in, 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 in America, but just let's deal with the South. We have brought from slavery a practice where growing up, you know, you know, our parents sometimes would whip us with, you know, objects, their hands and things. That was a slave practice that... Right uses punishment or pain to control bodily actions right. and so with the retribution piece now that it's not a physical i'm gonna whoop you physically i'm gonna whoop you psychologically i'm gonna whip you psychologically right. that's what retribution is and so many people didn't survive prison i saw 13 people murdered with my own eyes my sister right. was murdered while i was in prison i was a cellmate of three of my biological brothers i was in a gang fight yeah. I mean, there was so much that happened to me that I'm saying I'm not here because I'm somebody special. I'm here because my faith took control of my life and that I stayed as focused as I could be to move forward. And when I was released, I left prison with a scholarship, a full paid scholarship from American Baptist College. I left yeah. prison with 15 college credits from Lipscomb University. I left uh, prison with 11 semesters at Vanderbilt Divinity School graduate level courses. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and, so, and so much more. Let me ask you this. Is that, is that something that everybody in TDOC can do? Because I know where I'm at. 
uh, they used to bring the college in here before the COVID, you know, Western Kentucky and Austin P. but we we didn't get any credit. You know what I'm saying? Because it's, it wasn't set up like that. So uh, you know, that's one of the barriers that uh, is in the way. Uh, everybody doesn't get credit like that. We get a, a certificate that says we took the courses, but we don't get the credits that could go towards a, a, a degree, you know what I'm saying, if, you know, when the time comes and we get out. So that, that that's some of the things that I was wondering, like, is that at every prison where, where you were at that you were able to achieve those types of things? No, it was not. And that's what I meant early on when I said that I took advantage of all opportunities and I also created opportunities because mm -hmm. prior yeah, to my uh, being transferred or shipped, we still use that slave language, shipped, because mm -hmm. individuals who had been kidnapped in Africa in put in the holes the ships was mm -hmm. shipped we still use that language because it's rel yeah. it's relative you know relevant yeah. and yeah. um yeah so when i made it to riverbend maximum security prison in 2002 they had vanderbilt divinity school courses being offered at that time but they did not mm -hmm. but no they were not offering college credits yeah and i was denied that opportunity but i didn't give i didn't give up that's right. I would That's get right. up and I would go look into the window and about third three weeks after a lady came out and asked me why would I look into that window and I told I said ma'am I, I believe I belong in that room and eventually I did an essay and I got into the Vanderbilt Divinity School courses and I had already um, thought about taking uh, college courses through uh, correspondence courses and so uh, eventually just just working thinking, believing, being the co-founder yeah. of Project New Beginning, which is at River Bend. Uh, uh, I was uh, in instrumental in bringing yoga to River Bend, meditation to River Bend, infinite possibilities to River Bend. Um, and I was the original member of Lipscomb First Class, uh, which is uh, the Lipscomb program, um, learning inspired. Um, it was the uh, Lipscomb Initiative for Education. And that's when we actually started getting uh, credits. Um, that's when um, Chaplain Alexander was still there. But it's so much more. It's so much more. And, you know, we, we can never cram all of it into, you know, a conversation. Yes. I think the thing that I want people who listen to you to know yes. is that there is no impossibility. Right. That's the message that I preach. I teach that because I, I, I believe in that. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm in here with two life sentences plus and been here for 34 years now, going on 34 years now. So I, I get that. I agree with that, you know, and uh, uh, I, I just think that a lot of guys in here, the, the, the psychological trauma that they go through and they suffer, it, it makes them believe that there is no hope and they engage in a you know, the typical activities that you see in here. So I, I totally agree with you on that. And, and any help, uh, that I can be uh, two unheard voices in anything that you're doing, brother. I'm here. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to be there. So uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do the show. Uh, let me ask you two questions. I had some guys, I was telling some guys in here that I was going to have you on the show. So they, they wanted me to get two questions in to you. So, and one of them is a juvenile offender, right? Uh -huh. His name is Udon. And he, uh, he, he came into the system when he was a child. He was a child, uh -huh. 16. And the same uh, guy that did the documentary on Centoria Brown did a documentary about him at the same time, but hers caught fire and his didn't. And he's saying, he's asking, what about him? You know, what, what about him? What, 
what can he do? What what more can he do? He's been in here over 20 plus years now, you know, and he has I think another 10 or 12 to go, and and he's not bitter. He and he's thankful for her and grateful that she uh, uh, was able to receive, you know, some uh, some uh, uh, relief. But he he asked the question, you know, what about him? He was a child too when he came in here, and even though their cases are different. Um, but they both had murder charges, and he said, so is there anything going on out there as far as legislation that uh, he can look forward to uh, that might help his situation? Yeah, so what I just spoke to you about, is he is, does he have the 51-year life sentence? No, no, he has a, uh, I think he has a 40 or 50-year sentence. Yeah, I think it's a 40. Okay, so you're saying that he was a, somehow like because let me let me explain something i have not yeah. met centoria since she's been out but i had uh supported her release and actually spoken with her while she was inside yeah here's what you have to understand and this is what i'll say to him and it's certainly not exhaustive but yeah whenever things happen in your life that the the the, the truth did not come out in mm -hmm. a, a narrative that made people see you as other than human, it's going to be your responsibility to, to humanize yourself in a way to help to get people to understand. And what Centoria was successful at and her team, you have to understand she had a team, mm -hmm. is that they changed the narrative because she went, she was convicted as a first degree murderer. Yes. But by the time she received that clemency, she was a, a sex trafficked person, a, a girl. I and it. so, I it. and when you look at the facts, just without all the state interactions and trying to prosecute her, there was no way in the world that a grown man should have been having sexual relations with That's this right. girl. That's and right. so while she acted out in the way that she did, you know, it's the, it's, you, you can't say that somehow she had malice in her heart. You can say that, but is it true? And so she That's successfully right. changed the narrative. And uh, what made it possible for people like me to get support is that I changed the narrative. But you change the narrative through your actions. I got you, bro. You change the narrative just like you, just like you are able to get people to pay attention to your situation and support your ideas of how to reach out into the community and not yeah. be confined by the physical geographical location of your body and not let that mm -hmm. determine whether or not you're free. The same thing goes for that young brother. And so what I'll say to the young brother is, is that he has to stay focused and he may not want to hear what what I'm saying. But the reality is, is that he has to find a way to build a team, because right now, clemency is a political process mm -hmm. and you have to be able to get to to, to the governor, because yeah. if you're not eligible for parole, the only other mm -hmm. person that can release you is the governor other than, you know, the courts. And I don't see the mm -hmm. courts doing much. So. That's yeah, that's, that's an answer. That's my answer. That's the only answer I can give because no, that's that's a good answer though. I I I see I see I see some good in that. All right, the next question. Uh, this is coming from me and a lot of other guys. Um, Senator Cory Booker. Um, he has some legislation. Senator from New Jersey. He has some legislation. Uh, co-sponsored or either he's the original sponsor. I'm not sure about on the federal level that says that violent offenders. Uh, after 10 years of serving, uh, should be able to apply to a three-judge panel and petition for release or the uh, uh, 
changing of that sentence, you know, running concurrent or whatever the case may be. And this three-judge panel would have Sulkin uh, say so on that, right? I was wondering what you thought about that, and do you think that's something that uh, you might uh, be interested in supporting that could come down and maybe be something supported by the states for violent offenders? So for for people in Tennessee uh, who who where the state is in control because parole right now is is a privilege and not a right, mm-hmm. and while there will be there will need to be legislation, mm-hmm. I do support efforts that could put people in prison in a better situation or getting out of mm-hmm. prison in a better situation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know much about what that is but here's what we would do the unheard voices our mm-hmm. interest is in incentivizing release just okay. like you get pro- pro- program credits and behavioral credits in prison 16 days a mm-hmm. month our idea is that there be legislation that will allow for the first let's say year that you're out you and you're, you're successful you get six months you get six months mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second year, you you know, and then you get a day for every day that you do off of your sentence. Oh, I see. I get it. Okay. And then moving up to the point to where at a certain point, if you're out for five years, then you're taking off of parole, period. That's good, yeah. And five years. So we so we, we, we got to understand that we can craft and customize our own ideas of what that would look like. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, we would want to see people in prison before they get out. To have the transitional step down process people leaving prison people leaving maximum security uh getting straight out into the world you know still feeling caged still feeling like the world did me wrong we need to have a step down process that will allow for individuals to get back slowly into society um save money before they're actually released and then we need to have a community in which is what we're working on the unheard voices also has a c3 which is called creating a caring community where we support one another the unheard voices outreach now is in a process of helping 25 individuals get off of direct parole supervision so let me give you a little bit about what that is so there are laws already in existence that we know nothing about right and for almost six years that i was out of prison and I was eligible in my second year to be removed from direct parole supervision, but hmm. no one informed me. It was in, it was not until I began to have connections with attorneys out here that I was informed that I qualified to be removed from direct parole supervision. And so this year I successfully was removed from direct parole supervision. So that means I don't have to pay. That means I don't have to pay $45 a month. I don't have to report. I don't have to do the urine test. I don't have to do all of the things. And they just can't pop up at my house and things of this nature yeah. without, you know, me knowing. And, um, yeah. you know, just as a, as a, as a, as a, uh, 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 celebration, I even yeah. put in for a passport and I received my passport. And, uh, here soon I intend to uh, leave the United States for a little while just to smell the world from a different angle because right. during, during 2020, man, I lost my brother who had got out of prison in March to an overdose. To and I want to put it on the I want to put it on on the record that I'm aware of this epidemic of fentanyl are being put into uh, substances and individuals who are in so much pain and they're just trying to escape the reality yeah. of the hell that they experience on the inside. 
they consuming yeah. these things and then they're ODing and they're dying. And it's happening out here in droves. I mean, just recently, a yeah. very popular actor, uh, uh, OD, my brother OD, and yeah. he had a problem before he got out of out of out of prison, but it wasn't addressed. And so we're working on connecting with people that can help us with mental health because a lot of yeah. people leaving prison and all still in prison actually need mental health treatment because it's not that they're crazy they we have this southern idea of what it means but there's nothing wrong with therapy in fact i've gotten therapy since i've been out it was the best thing that i could have done for myself because there's there trauma trauma that lives in the body that lives in the cells memories and so what i'm saying uh to you is that you know there are ways that we can craft uh relief for ourselves but it has to make sense in a way that we incentivize success because the unheard voices outreach is interested in the continuance of a zero percent recidivism because everybody that's in our organization is still out there's been no one who has returned we got a low number of people but no one has returned and it's not because we're doing all these intensive programs the best thing that you can have getting out of prison is a community is a family it's people that really love you and care for you and it's going to walk you through the process and so basically that's what we do and um i just want to put it on the record i recently became a homeowner so um Man, all right yeah and right. so yeah I, yeah i i closed on my home a week ago two weeks ago and i'll be moving moving in next week and um i'm just saying that there are no limitations on us other than the ones that we place on our minds. And as you know, I was convicted of a serious offense, but I'm not out here talking about that. I am the worst thing that I've ever done. I will say I'm formerly incarcerated because um, at least that does acknowledge that. Yes, I was in prison, yeah. but now I'm not, not in the yeah. same way. And yeah. I'm here to be a leader in society, to contribute in a positive way. And so the biggest thing we got going on out here now is um, the no vote, no citizen, no freedom campaign, which is, to, you know, we're asking Tennessee to uncage the vote because I did not give up my citizenship rights. I did not yeah. give up my citizen, my civil rights, not knowingly. No one told me when I pled to this time that I was going to lose my citizenship. And so right now, the biggest thing that we're going to be working on in addition to the things that I've already shared with you, is that we want to enfranchise currently and formerly incarcerated folks so that we will have a power base. And that's the one thing that Tennessee and really all across this country, they don't want to deal with is, is, is us having power. But we got to start thinking about what that means because you can scream in the dark and say, do something for me. No. Yeah. We're not going to do that. We're going to organize and we're going to mobilize. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I want to highlight that uh, when, when we got Cyrus Wilson out of prison, who never admitted guilt, mm -hmm. we organized more than 300 people out here. Mm -hmm. And we got an attorney for Cyrus. And, um, you know, Cyrus is now walking in my footsteps. He has... Right scholarship and he is attending american baptist college now he's working at the nashville community bail fund and uh we recently got um don clemens out and we organized to get him out we were on the news yeah and it was one of the fastest 
uh, releases that we had ever seen that was organized. And what I'm trying to say to you, brother, yeah. and to your audience, is yeah. that there is power in the numbers and people. Not to do I'm silly gonna, things, because we're not going to associate ourselves with any anyone ever talk violent, no, talk no to nonsense. me. I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't even speak. I would just walk away. Yeah. I won't yeah. even listen to what that. they have to say. I agree with that. It, I, I'm not about the nonsense, and I don't want any of our listeners to be about the nonsense. This is about right. changing the narrative, as you right. said. But yeah. before we close, I want to ask yeah. you to make sure that I want people to know how they can get in touch with you, how they can join the movement, and I want you to speak real quick about you said you wanted one person at least at every institution. Tell people what they have to do to uh, get involved in it. And, 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 so what? What? So board. what they have to do? What they have to do uh, to get involved is first of all they can write us and it's P.O. Box one seven zero four, Madison Tennessee three seven one one six. Unheard Voices Outreach. If they have family members, they can just visit unheardvoicesoutreach.org. They can email us at unheardvoicesoutreach at gmail.com. And I've also uh, sent information uh, to your co-host and to your okay. supporter that yeah. highlights some of the things that we're doing. And I've also sent the contact information, but it's P.O. Box 1704, Madison, Tennessee, 37116. Or they can text through their family members, 615-398-1228. And okay. we will respond and we will, you know, invite them to participate in the various endeavors that we have going on. And we would definitely ask that everyone in prison donate to the unheard voices. I know that some people only make 20 cents an hour. Mm -hmm. But I also know that people are out there sending money to churches, they're in prison sending money to churches. I'm mm -hmm. saying that. Okay, so let you, me ask, how would they do yeah. that? Do they need, because you remember in here, um, we got the uh, the withdrawal form. That's how they take the money off our account. Right. What you're saying to me is that an individual could fill out a withdrawal form if they had to do it from this end to Unheard Voices with your address on there and, it, and mail it to you, and that would be enough? Yeah, That's it's the, the P.O. Box. Okay. It's P.O. Box 1704, okay. and it's a legitimate organization. We're a 501c3. Yeah. This is a charity donation. Yeah. You have and a right to donate to charity. information, brother. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna spread that around all over the state. Right. I'm gonna spread that around. Yeah, okay. because yeah, 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 because because right now I'm I'm begging people to fund this work and the people that I'm working for, and I'm actually mm -hmm. working for, mm -hmm. you know, they should be helping to finance our operations. And I'm there, brother. And I'm gonna be there. And I'm gonna do yeah. what I can. I'm gonna spread this word. I'm gonna make yeah. donations. I'm gonna do everything that I can. Yeah. I want to thank you for taking yeah. time out to be on the show, Anna East. I want to thank you as my co-host. And as I always say, if you like the show, donate. If you really like the show, like I say, share it with your friends. And we'll see you next week on Doing Time with Joe. Thank y'all. Yeah. If you want to learn more about Unheard Voices and maybe help out or donate, links will be in the show notes. Thank you for using GTL.